0: Um, I was thinking back on my own experience. The experience itself was many years ago. I was thinking back on it just here very recently. Uh, those of you who've had that experience, you you know. Obviously, the procedure itself is, well, I don't even want to talk about that, uh, what, the, what that entails. The, the recovery, however, the recovery is anything but, but fun. You have to be really careful with those wounds there in the deep recesses of, of your mouth there very sensitive. You don't really want to touch them, and if you do need to touch them, you want to do so, of course, with great, great care because it's, well, they're just very, very sensitive. And I got to thinking about that this past week, and it occurred to me that there are a lot of people like that. There are a lot of people that you really don't want to touch because they are so sensitive, like raw nerves. Uh, you, You feel like you've got to watch what you say Around them, lest you set them off. You feel like you've got to walk on the proverbial eggshells around them, lest, and I don't even know what that phrase actually means, but you get it. Um, So there are a lot of people like that. We're like that. The person you saw in the mirror this morning can be like that. Kind of raw at times sensitive to the touch, easy to poof, set off. Ah, the gospel speaks to that. The gospel is good news and it speaks to that, and we need it, we need it. If you have a Bible, I ask you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 15. Uh, gospel is Old and New Testament, every book between the table of contents and the maps uh, is about Jesus. So we're looking at Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 31 through 35. Uh, Proverbs 15, verses 31 through 35, it's a short text, profound text, really weighty in its, in its implications, and it certainly does take us here into this, this topic, uh, the, the reality that so many of us can be so sensitive, so touchy, uh, so uh, re- really hard for us to hear and bear any sort of of word that would go against the grain of our assumptions about how great we are. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 31 through 33, hear now the Word of God. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Well, let's pray for just a moment. Lord Jesus, you know this about us. It's why we find words such as what we just read, so many different places and, and speaking of so many different, ways in, in the Scriptures, for us to live in relationship with one another, uh, for we as sinners to live in communion and community with our fellow sinners means we've got to know how to deal with this subject. And we pray for Your mercy. We ask now that You would make us into a people who would count a rebuke, a blessing that would count criticism to be a gift, that would count um, counsel that we, or advice that we just don't want to hear as a good thing. And we ask that you would cultivate within us the spirit, uh, lowercase s, that is necessary for that by the spirit, uppercase s, who alone can do that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Paying attention, listening to messages, the right messages, can save your life. It can save your life. Read you a news excerpt here. It makes the point. December well, it's not a news excerpt, it's a quote from a book actually, regarding news from some years ago. You, I know few of you, I'm sure remember this. Christmas the day after Christmas in 2004. December 26, 2004, the third largest earthquake ever recorded by seismograph occurred deep beneath the Indian Ocean. It registered 9.1 on the Richter scale, and the shock waves produced tsunami waves more than 100 feet in height. Can you imagine? traveling 500 miles an hour and reaching a radius of 3,000 miles. I can't can't get my mind around that. Um, The deadliest tsunami in history, recorded history, claimed 227,898 lives, but one people group living right in its path miraculously survived without one casualty. Got your attention? The Malkin are an Austronesian ethnic group that live on the open seas from birth to death. Their handcrafted wooden boats, called kabang, function as houseboats for these sea gypsies. Malkin children learn to swim before they learn to walk. They can see twice as clearly underwater as us landlubbers. And if there were an underwater breath-holding contest, there would be no contest. But it wasn't any of these skills that saved them from the tsunami. What saved them was their intimacy with the ocean. The Malkin knew know its moods and messages better than any oceanographer reading ocean waves the way we read street signs. One day, on the day, on the day of the earthquake, an amateur photographer from Bangkok was taking pictures of the Malcon when she became concerned by what she saw. She's watching their reactions. As the sea started to recede, many of the Malkin were crying. They knew what was about to happen. They recognized that the birds had stopped chirping. The cicadas had gone silent. The elephants were headed towards the higher ground. And the dolphins were swimming further out to sea. And the Malkin responded. They listened. They paid attention to the signs around them that day. They didn't ignore it. They didn't suppress it. They didn't deny it. They didn't despise it. They heard it. They listened. They responded. And they lived. They lived. We'll talk about listening this morning. As I said earlier in the service, this is a, a, a follow up, really, from the message we heard last week, a wonderful message we heard last week from James 1. The need for us to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. I've been thinking about that quite a bit over the last several days. And in particular, um, what it would mean to listen to particular things. For, For instance, what does it mean for us to listen to an unpleasant message from others about us? What does it mean to listen to something like that? What does it mean to listen to news of the way that we have fallen short of some particular agreed-upon standard? What does it mean for us to receive criticism? What would that that demand? What would it entail? What What does it mean for us to receive criticism? Well, the gospel has implications for this. The gospel has implications for how we listen, even here, even to criticism, and it comes up in this text, beautifully in in this text. It shows us three things, at least these three things. One, how it, it lays a foundation for listening to criticism. It lays a foundation for this. It gives us an exhortation, the need to do this, and then finally, the way, the one way we have, the one way we have of, in, in how this, the gospel offers us a path of implementation for this. So, foundation, exhortation, implementation, these three things all connected back to how the gospel enables us. Uh, the implication of the gospel is that we can and must, or must and can, uh, listen, heed, criticism. Let's look at this. these things in turn. First, the foundation. It lays the foundation. It shows us why this is important, why this is vital, why this is necessary. Now, Will alluded to this last week. I'm just going to re- repeat this just in case you forgot. Regarding creation, our need to listen is grounded in creation itself. The nature of God. God is a speaking God. It's why there is anything. He's spoken into being. He's also a listening God. He hears. He hearkens. He pays attention to. To us. To us. So, God is a speaking God. He is a listening God. That's the nature of God. Now, hold on. We are made in His image according to His likeness. We are made in the image according to the likeness of a speaking and listening God. We are made as image bearers to represent him in this world and to reflect something of him. And to the degree that we do, we are never more f- fully human than that. And we are living according to the nature, the image, the likeness of the one that in whose likeness and image we've been created. He is a, a listening God, a hearing God. We too, by design, have been made to hear, to listen. So we've been made to listen. Okay, you got that? That's creation. That was alluded to last week. Now we're going to go a little further now. We're going to talk about the fall. Because when you you move from creation to the fall, it's not just that we were made to listen, but now we need to pay attention to this. We need to listen. We need to listen. We are, the theological term here is, we are radically depraved very clear in the Scriptures, and frankly, by observation and history. Work in the toddler nursery. Sorry, Tina. Um, but but you, you will learn it. Hang out with me. You will learn it. We are. Radically depraved, meaning that we all bear the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness in which he and Eve were created, and and our nature is just thoroughly, thoroughly corrupted, such that we are just in constant rebellion against our rightful king. In every way you could imagine, thought, word deed, commission, omission, that which we do and that which we don't. This radical depravity that we need to reckon with, every one of us, to own that of ourselves, and this, They were self-deceived in how bad off we are. We think a whole lot better of ourselves than we actually are. We think a whole lot better than we actually do. We see ourselves better, a whole lot better, than is actually the case. And so therein we need input from others speaking into our lives because of the reality of our self-deception. And the Proverbs speak a lot about this, and, and it comes up in this text, verse 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof. Now, think about that. Have you ever thought of, of, of reproof, of a rebuke, of correction, of criticism as being, I mean, this is a buzz term these days, life-giving? I don't want to do that because it's not life-giving. Well... The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Or chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We are made made to listen by design, and we need to listen. Because of our fallenness, because of our sinfulness, because of our depravity, because of how just broken, shattered we are, made to listen, and need to listen. And need to listen. I have a shirt um, at home. It has this logo on it. It says, be the person your dog thinks you are. It's a very high order. Because my dog doesn't know me. My dog has no insight into my heart. Folks, I don't have any insight into my heart. That's the problem. Neither do you. None of us do. We're blind to the nature of the person closest to us us. The one we think so much about, the one we're so self, by definition, self-obsessed with, we don't even know them. So we have to have, we have to have people speaking into our lives. Now, you think, though, how this, what I just said is, is and what Proverbs are say, is saying, is just crazy talk when it comes to the bombarding of the cultural messaging around us all the time. Because what is the cultural messaging? The continual bombardment that we are inflicted and afflicted by. Well, find yourself. Express yourself. Be yourself. You be you. And all that's fine so long as what it's getting at is talking about being transparent and authentic and real. That's fine if that's what those phrases are meant to point towards. But I don't think that's what they're... Taking us to. By definition, they have a way of pushing us into a toxic dishonesty with ourselves that is unwilling to hear, much less heed, any criticism or correction from other people. Because I'm being me. The gospel has implications for how we listen, even to criticism, and it lays the foundation for the need. And that's good news. We're actually being told the truth, the need, the need to hear this. Now, pushing further, we also see not just the foundation laid, but, an, but exhortation given, the commands, the counsel, the imperatives, the urging that we would hear. Clearly, there are benefits, Clearly, there are, are benefits to hearing and heeding, criticism, uh, honest criticism from, from others. It, if nothing else, protects us from ourselves, right? Uh, saves and protects us from ourselves, preserves relationships one with an, another, uh, checks our foolishness that otherwise might run rampant like a wildfire out in, in Northern California. Um, Proverbs fifteen thirty two. This is the second verse of the text. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Uh, Moving over to chapter 13, verse 10, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Chapter 17, verse 10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool pretty graphic, right? So there's protection being offered here and, and wisdom as we would consider the possibility of expanding the council that we're really li- willing to listen to or you could put it th- this way, we need to have a council of counsel. A council of counsel. Uh, Proverbs 11:14 Why is this so necessary? Why is this so so good? Proverbs 11, 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, a wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. How does he get the knowledge? For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is Victory, the idea being that the more views that you have, the more viewpoints that you're willing to to listen to and heed, the more protection that you have. The more contrary perspectives that that you allow into your life, the more protection you have. Put it this way. There's protection in pushback. Again, because of how self-deceived that we can be. There's really, when you think about it, there's protection in allowing for people in your life to give you pushback. and and wisdom found there. So the the benefits of this are are set forth in the Proverbs. Also warnings, warnings as to what could happen if we are unwilling to do that. Proverbs 9, 9, it's it's implicit when you think about it here. It's positively stated, but give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. What happens if you don't? Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. But again, what will happen if you don't, I was an economics major. I'm thinking about opportunity cost. Chris Nussbaumer, you could speak on that better than I could, but right? That which you stand to lose by failing to listen and, and heed. There are explicit warnings here as well. Proverbs 13, 13, uh, very clear. Whoever despises the Word brings destruction on himself. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Or just going back to our text for this morning, chapter 15, verse 32. already read it, but it's the first half of the verse. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Do you hate yourself? Then don't listen to people. You can show it by your stubborn refusal to listen to the correction and criticism of others. The inability, our inability to take advice, to heed correction, to listen to a rebuke, our inability to do those things is the mark of our foolishness. That's what Proverbs is telling us. And we will, anyone whose life is patterned on this, set on this pattern, on this path, will inevitably and perhaps tragically reap what they sow. Alfred Poirier, in an article about this this very sort of thing, makes this point with a very powerful illustration. January 28th, 1986, now none of you, some of you weren't born, even those of you who were around then, you're like, "Well, I don't know, what's that big about that date? Let me keep reading. Now you'll remember. The space shuttle Challenger and its crew embarked on a mission to broaden educational horizons and promote the advancement of scientific knowledge. The most outstanding objective of Challenger 51L mission was the delivery of educational lessons from space by teacher Krista McAuliffe. A lesson was indeed delivered, but not one which anyone expected. Now, you wouldn't know anything about the Space Shuttle Challenger or Krista McAuliffe if what happened, what I'm about to remind you of, hadn't happened. All that stuff would be a footnote in NASA's history, but it's not a footnote. It's a chapter of tragedy. Just 75 seconds after liftoff, tragedy struck. Before a watching world, the shuttle suddenly erupted overhead, disintegrating the cabin along with the crew. The debris of metal, blood, and bone plummeted to earth along with our nation's glory. What had gone wrong? That was the pressing question everyone asked. As teams of researchers examined the wreckage, the specific cause was soon found. The problem was with the O rings, circular rubber seals, which had been designed to fit snugly into the joints of the booster engine sections. Evidently, the O rings had become defective under adverse conditions, and the resulting mechanical failure led to the tragedy. It was cold that morning in Florida. Was that the whole story? The truth eventually got out. The New York Times put it frankly, the ultimate cause of the space shuttle disaster was pride. It was not O-rings, it was pride. A group of top managers failed to listen carefully to the warnings, advice, and criticisms given by those down the line who were concerned about the operational reliability of certain parts of the booster engine under conditions of abnormal stress, the O rings. So just think about this. Think about this. Heating criticism in that existential moment could have stopped that whole thing and saved seven lives. We need to heed criticism. We need to be willing to hear it, to heed it. But folks, let's be honest. That's not our default. It's not mine. It's not yours. That is not our default setting. Look, when you know of something that someone has said or is even thinking about you that goes against the grain of your overly rosy assessment of yourself... When you know that they have misunderstood you, misquoted you, misjudged you, perhaps even falsely accused you of certain things, where do you go? You get defensive. Your heart rate, your your pulse begins to go up, your emotions heat up, right? Right? We get defensive. Why? These aren't small things that we're concerned about, right? Because in that moment, we're concerned about our honor, about our name, about our reputation, about our standing, even if it's just with one person. And so we think, this is where this degenerates into, we think that since no one else is going to stand up for ourselves, we have to. We're going to take a stand. And we feel like we're the only ones who can. And we simply have to. We simply have to. Do we? The gospel has radical implications for what it means to listen, even to criticism. Even to criticism. It gives us this exhortation. Now, lastly, let's go here, the third point, because we need to ask this question, wrestle with this question. If it's not my default setting, which it's not, my default is set on defend, 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 if not attack. How then do we become slower to become so defensive, slower to reject whatever is being said to us, Quicker to listen, slower to speak, slower to become angry. Glad to hear this advice. How? At the heart, it's humility. At the heart of it all, it's a gospel-driven, gospel-created humility. And it's in here in the text. It's right here. These three verses are these aren't just like, you know, three pearls on a string just boom, just thrown together randomly. It's all tied together here. Let's look at it again. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And humility comes before honor. Now, the fear of the Lord, just let's be clear on what this means. This is not a distrustful terror, but a reverential awe. That's what that expression means when you see it again and again in the Scriptures. The fear of the Lord is a reverential awe. It's a response of faith and worship based on who God is and who He has revealed Himself to be. It is for him. Put it this way: for him to loom largest in our lives. That's the fear of the Lord, and that has a profound effect to the degree it's taking root, and we're taking it to heart. The fear of the Lord. It has a way of, of well, because it's bringing us into how things are. It makes us wise. And it makes us humble. We see God for who He really is, and we see ourselves for who we really are. And to the degree that we are growing in an understanding of the fear of the Lord, well, it changes how we live before Him as the creature before the Creator, the sinner before the judge, the redeemed before the Redeemer, the servant before the master, the citizen before the king, the child before the father. It changes all of that in terms of who we understand Him to be and who we, our, who we understand our, ourselves to be. The idea of the fear of the Lord is spoken of here in Proverbs 15. But we need to shift. Now, now this is beginning; to, it's pointing us in this direction towards the, the New Testament as things aren't just hinted at here, as they are in Proverbs 15, but as they become more explicit as we move forward in the Scriptures and in, in, into the New Testament. We read from Galatians 2 a little while ago. I want to take you back there now. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 in particular. Galatians 2, verse 20. Listen to these words by the Apostle Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, we need to hear all sides of what Paul is saying There's two strong things that we have to hold together in what Paul is saying here in Galatians 2.20 and the whole of, of that text. The words of judgment. Part of this are wor- the words of judgment that we are sinners deserving condemnation, this is what made the cross necessary. This is absolutely what made the cross necessary. You keep reading into Galatians, Galatians 3, verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Or you turn to Romans, Romans 3, and this terrible indictment of, of all of us. Romans 3 starting in verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, Mouth, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the leveling that we have to go through. This is what we have to begin with, just clearing the ground, understand who we are as sinners. This is a criticism. This is a cosmic criticism of us. This is a criticism that is far more intense far more in thorough than the absolute worst anyone could ever say about you. This is God Himself pronouncing these words upon you and I. We have to hear that. We have to start with that as we're reckoning with what a human being then is saying to us in terms of criticism. But we can't stop there. I said there's two parts. I said there's one half. Here's another part. Okay, here's the other part. We need to hear not just these, wor- these words of judgment, but the good news of justification. Not just the condemning words of judgment, but the good news of justification. So, we read from Romans 3 a moment ago. Let me pick up right, well, almost where we left off. I'm going to pick up verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. But now, some, some very wise individuals have noted that some of the most important words the Apostle Paul ever wrote were three letters, at least in the English, B-U-T, but. But, now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Stephen alluded to this earlier. Our standing is what Paul is saying to us here in Romans 3 and Galatians as well. Our standing is secure before the true and living God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which means because of the finished work of Jesus, even under the most withering storm of human criticism, we can know this. We are more thoroughly loved and accepted than we ever dared to imagine. So we have to hold those two things together at the same time. On the one hand, the this, this, this sentence of condemnation but also the good news, the gospel of justification. Who we are and why in this very moment, in that existential moment as we're hearing and having to receive these words. In fact, it's what enables us. The gospel is what enables us not just to face and endure, but embrace criticism. Not just to face and endure, but to embrace criticism, to actually hear it and take it and receive it without bitterness without blame shifting and without falling into our default defensiveness. Why? Because our default has been disrupted by the gospel. Our default has been disrupted by the gospel, which means, and and Luther was one of the ones that, that pointed towards this, when we are listening to these words of accusation, this is, whether you want to say it aloud, it's certainly what you can be saying internally, friend, you don't know the half of it as you're looking at the cross. As you have this cross-centered, gospel-driven, Jesus-soaked perspective of yourself, whatever this person is saying to you, friend, you don't know the half of it. I am far worse than you could possibly know. But I am far more loved than I ever dared dream. So, to the degree you're right, I need to hear it. To the degree you're wrong, it still takes me to Jesus. I need to listen. I need to listen. And this way of reckoning with criticism is a whole lot better, a whole lot truer a whole lot healthier than just the mantras such as, well, haters going to hate. Or, just let it fuel your fire, what they say. It's not going to help you at all. The gospel will. The gospel will. There's radical implications for how we hear and indeed how we even hear criticism. Listening listing just in and of itself, is a rare commodity in this world. Really tuning in and paying attention is a rare commodity. And so, when people experience it, they're drawn to it. Let me give you an example. Some of you may be familiar with the name Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is a host of the podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. He is a comedian, UFC commentator uh, turned podcast host, who has a hugely popular podcast uh, that has some 190 million monthly downloads, okay? Now, he's hard to pin down ideologically, philosophically, politically. He's all over the map and just parents so you know. Some of his podcasts are not exactly family-friendly. But here's the deal hundred and ninety million monthly downloads. People want to hear this man. People are tuning in, downloading these podcasts as Joe Rogan sits down for three-hour-long shows. Three hours as he sits down and talks with uh, authors and philosophers and politicians and scientists. Why he listens? He listens, and that stands out. Let me read you a quote here from uh, Rod Dreher as he's reflecting on this phenomenon. There's no doubt that my worldview doesn't align perfectly with Joe Rogan's, but what I enjoy about the show is that he comes across as a decent everyman who is curious about the world. I just want to hear intelligent conversation, especially if it challenges my way of thinking. Joe Rogan provides that. He has a definite point of view, but he seems to actually like people, all kinds of people. It says something about our time that this is so unusual in broadcasting. Yeah, it does. It does. It's why his podcast is one of the most popular you're going to find. He listens. He doesn't interrupt. He asks insightful questions. He shows curiosity. So millions listen. Listening is a rare commodity in this world. Well, my friends, let me ump that just a little bit. Listening to criticism is the rarer, far rarer commodity. This is like finding the Hope Diamond in one of those claw games at the mall. This is like finding that rare, precious edition at the used bookstore shoved back amidst the torn Harlequin romance paperbacks. That's how rare not just listening is, but listening to criticism and taking it and hearing it and heeding it. And friends, the gospel not only commands it, but enables and compels it, as we see here. As it lays its foundation, as it gives the exhortation, and as it offers the one hope we have in Im- implementing all this. The gospel has radical implications, not only for how we listen, but how we listen to criticism. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, You have made us to listen, and we, especially in regards to this topic, we need to. And we ask that You'd help us believe these very basic, essential things about ourselves. You have spoken here in Your Word of the benefits and given us warnings. We ask that You'd help us to hear. You have made it clear These these sobering words of judgment, and yet also the astonishing news of justification, we ask You to help us to embrace it all. Make us into people known for listening, gladly so, to even a critical voice, believing the gospel so deeply that perhaps we would even see this as a gift from Your hand. may people, more than anything... As people are drawn to this radically new way of responding and engaging with other people, may people not be drawn to us, but be drawn to you as you're doing this work within us. We pray in your name. Amen.